0: Isaiah chapter 51, starting with verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. When I called him, he was only one. I blessed him and made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and melodious song. This is the scripture and I want to explain this to you today. And on the back of the review, we have some points that are already given to you and then go to the app called YouVersion, and under live events, the sermons and scriptures are preloaded. All of my life, my dream was to play football for the high school to which my home was zoned. Sure, I would have loved to have been a Dallas Cowboy or a Texas Longhorn, but I figured out pretty fast that may not happen, but to play for my high school was my dream, and so I did that my freshman year. I played, and because I was on the freshman team, we had a solid white helmet. Solid white helmet, that, that's all that we had. No decal, nothing like that. We were the Cardinals, like the Arizona Cardinals. We, we had the red bird on, our, on our, our helmet, but it was not for the freshmen. But my sophomore year, I made the varsity team. And I remember when the trainer handed me the two cardinals to put on either side of my helmet. I mean, I could have died a happy man at that moment. I mean, I was so happy because that was a dream come true. The reason why it was so important was the uniforms. Now, I, I am a sports historian. I don't really consider myself a sports fan anymore. I go to a lot of games with my boys and I talk to you guys about sports, but To me, a sports fan means you get emotionally involved with your team and those days are long over because life is too short and there's too many good things happening in life for you to be emotionally upset because your team didn't score enough points. But I do think sports is fascinating. Sports is the soul of a culture or soul of a city. So whether or not the Titans win or lose this year is not really a big deal, but if they do win, it would be fun. Because the year 2000, when they went to the Super Bowl, that was just fun around here, and that was neat. And, and, and it's interesting to study the history of sports, because cities and states take on the personality of their team. I mean, if you're from Cleveland, your teams never won a championship. That's just part of it, that's the history. Or if you are a Cubs fan, you haven't won a World Series in over 100 years. So the history of sports are interesting, but there's something very important about the history of sports, and that is uniforms. And that is why the day I get the, the logos to put on my helmet, I was so excited because that uniform had a history. That uniform, I had seen players in playoff games and, and, and special different games that meant something to me, wear that same uniform, and now I was getting a chance to wear the uniform. That's why this this latest trend of all these goofy alternative uniforms, how many believe that's just of the devil, right? If you're you're a man over the age of 35, you probably agree with me. All of these alternative uniforms are crazy. I mean, Notre Dame's supposed to have a gold helmet and blue jersey and gold pants. They don't need some neon aqua color for an alternative uniform. I can tell y'all could care less, could you? Okay, back to the sermon. So here's the deal. In sports history, uniforms are important because they, they have a storyline to them. There, there is a storyline to a team. There's a history, there's a heritage. And when God was speaking through the scripture to help us understand what he was saying, I believe the first thing he wants to remind us of this morning is this, we have a heritage. We have a heritage, it's a, it's a much richer heritage than a 50 or 60 year old sports team or a 100 year old sports team. We have a heritage that goes way, way back to Jesus Christ himself. Our heritage goes all the way back to Abraham. Our heritage goes all the way back even to Adam and to Eve. It's important that you know that you're part of a story. Life is not all about you. Life is about the community that you're a part of. Life is about the relationships in which you live your life. Life is about the relationships that you know, like the people that you worship with today. But it's also about relationships that you don't know directly. Meaning that we today are not some isolated group of people who have gathered for a religious purpose, we're part of something much bigger. We're part of a wider community. We're part of all the churches here in Hendersonville in North Nashville. That's why I'm a participant in the Community Pastors Association. On a monthly basis, the pastors in Hendersonville, we meet together for prayer and encouragement because we're really one church under the leadership of Jesus Christ. But we're also part of a worldwide community. People who worship Jesus in Asia, in Africa, and Europe, and South America, and Australia, all around the globe, at all points in between. We're part of that community too. And we're part, we're part of those who have gone before us in the Lord. Those who are now in heaven are now are with the Lord. And it's important that you know this and understand, it, it, understand this because it will change the way you live out your individual story. With that in mind, let's look at verse one again of Isaiah 51. It says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. So I will say this message is for those who are wanting a relationship or friendship with God. Those who are wanting God, this is not an evangelistic message. This is a message for believers or for Christians. Listen to me, those who pursue righteousness, those who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were dug. The idea is this. The idea is that we come from something. We come from a group. We come from a people. We're not isolated, we're not alone. We carry within us characteristics and a DNA of the faith that's gone before us. Our forefathers, we follow in their footsteps. We stand upon their shoulders. This life we live in faith is not isolated. We are being cheered on. The scripture tells us we are surrounded by witnesses. We can't see them with the physical eye, but in the spiritual realm, we're getting cheered on. And this community of faith that exists now in 2013, but also exists in centuries before us, wants us to succeed, and they're cheering us on. And God's saying on this morning, on this July 21st, 2013, consider where you came from. Consider all the people before you. Consider the rock from which you were cut. Consider the quarry from which you were dug. And I want you to think about who it was who brought you into the kingdom, your parent, your grandparent, your first pastor, your Sunday school teacher, someone in Christian education. Think about people you don't know, descendants, people you've read about, the disciples, the great men and women of the Bible. All of them, we're part of a community with them. And when we understand that, it puts so much more on the line. It means our choices, our moral choices, and the way we carry our faith, and the way we live our life is not about us today. It's a continuation of a story that has been unfolding. And I think about the early part of the Bible. Much of the early part of the Bible came from storytelling. It came from oral tradition. Hundreds and hundreds of years were established before the Pentateuch was written. That's Genesis through Exodus. And so people told stories. And they sat around fires and they sat around meals and they told stories to one another. And just this week in my devotions, it's amazing to me that when you're faithful in your devotions, the revelation God brings. In Exodus 18, eight, I saw an example of this, a scripture I'd read a lot, but I had never seen in this context. Moses 18, eight, Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that confronted them on their way and how the Lord delivered them. Reading that scripture, I just, I know some of the history here that Moses return to his father-in-law's home and had been away at some time. And you can just see them in joy, sharing a meal together, maybe tending to the flock because they were both shepherds. And Moses is retelling what God has done. He's telling a story. When we talk about what God has done and we tell a story, our faith comes alive and our faith has passed on. Last Sunday night at my 242 group, there were several members of my 242 group who had, had been to Costa Rica, and much of the night was stories about the mission trip to Costa Rica. We heard about challenges and funny times, and we heard about people, and I learned names of people that I didn't get to see physically, but my wife and other friends saw these people and shared Jesus with them. And through their stories, we went to Costa Rica. When we testify, when we tell people about how God has saved us from a life of sin, how God has healed us of sickness, how God has healed us from a bad attitude, how God has cleaned up our language, how God has changed our morality, we're part, we're part of a family, we're part of something big, we're part of a heritage. And here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to minimize, minimize the heritage that you have. He wants you to disregard it. He wants you to think that, This faith you have is just very common. That you're a Christian because you're an American. You're a Christian because you live in the South. You're a Christian because that's what you've always known. It's really not that big of a deal. Nonsense. What God was saying to the people in Isaiah 51, verse one and two, he was saying, you are a covenant people. You are a chosen people. God has had a covenant people that we're now a part of where he said, I am gonna make you a special people because of my promise to you and your response to me. It's grace upon grace. And so it is that, guys, we're part of something special. When we gather here on a Sunday morning, we're part of something unique. We've been chosen, we've been set apart. What happens here means something. It's big business and we're part of a wider church. We're part of a church all over the city, all over this region all over this world we're part of a church generation upon generation where we have a heritage there's something special that we have i once had a special opportunity i didn't know this would be a special opportunity until some time unfolded but i was asked to write an editorial at my college for the newspaper, and it was a tiny little college, so I would be surprised if a dozen people read this little editorial that I wrote. But I wrote it, and time, time went on and passed on, and the English professor sent it off to somebody, and some kind of award happened, and I got this letter in the mail that said, congratulations, your editorial has been chosen, and now you can be part of who's who in America. Now, this was, this was a real surprise to me. Yeah, I didn't really have aspirations to be a writer, but I started reading the opening paragraph, and I thought, well, this is this is kind of exciting. This is kind of cool. As I, I read more about qualifications and what happened. I started daydreaming all of a sudden. I thought, well, this will be kind of cool to share with mom and dad. And as I started reading to the letter, I, I started daydreaming some more. I started thinking, Yeah, maybe this whole ministry thing, maybe I've missed it. Maybe I need to write for the Dallas Morning News or the Kansas City Star or for Time Magazine. And, you know, a momentum is building until I got to the last paragraph. And last paragraph said, for a fee of only $75, we'll include you in our special collector edition book. Talk about a deflation. This was not some type of award or recognition. This was... This was a business who had figured out a way to get money from poor college kids. And so it went from the emotions of, wow, I'm special and unique to this kind of feeling of, wow, I'm just, I'm just another, another marketing scheme here. I'm just another dollar. There's nothing unique or special. This is the danger, danger that we encounter in point number one. When I say, we're part of a heritage, we're part of a family, we're part of something big, we're part of a universal church, a worldwide church, we're part of a huge community. If we're not careful, we'll start to think, well, I'm not special then, or I'm not unique. Or my individual qualities don't really matter. I'm just one of 330 million Americans. Or I'm just one of seven billion people who live here on the planet. I'm just one of all these millions of Christians that exist. But I believe that attitude is answered further in verse 2 because there's a pattern we see here. And that's the second point. We have a pattern. We have a pattern. And here's the pattern that God uses individual men and women as He is advancing His community and advancing His work. Look at verse 2 with me of Isaiah 51. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth in pain. That, that is the rock, by the way. That's the query for the Jewish people. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth to you in pain. Now, look at this part. When I called him, he was only one. I blessed him and made him many. When I called him, he was only one. But I blessed him and made him many. There's a pattern that we see all through the Bible that God uses a man and he uses a woman submitted to God so that God's story will unfold on this earth. God uses a humble man and a humble woman who is willing to let his or her talents or abilities become God's and to give everything to God. And he uses that for his purpose and his glory. And I want you to know something today. Yes, you're part of a community. Yes, you're part of a heritage. Yes, you're part of something way bigger than what you can see. But your gifts and your ability and your talent and your purpose matters. It matters. It makes a huge difference. Every one of you make a difference in this world. Now I know that we need to be humble And we need to realize that everyone's replaceable. That's sometimes a humble thing. If Someday, if I'm not the pastor of this church, you guys are gonna replace me. And this church is gonna keep growing. And this church is gonna keep accomplishing God's purpose. Because this church isn't about me, it's about God's plan and God's purpose. So everyone's replaceable. Everyone's replaceable. That's a humble attitude we should have when it comes to organizational development. And when it comes to, to... to our community with one another. But when it comes to the purposes of God and the destiny of God, we have to have this awareness that our gifting and calling is very unique. And there is a cause and effect. Our choices, our morality, our holiness, our desire for God makes a difference in the people who are close to us. It makes a difference in the people in our community. It makes a difference in our city. And yes, your choices in your life makes a difference in the world because no one can influence the people God has given you influence to like you can. That's not prideful. That's not something to make you put, uh, put pride in yourself and your ability. That should humble us to say, wow, we need the help of the Lord. We need the help of the Lord. We need God's help. Later on, we won't read it today. You'll see there in Romans chapter four how God used Abraham, used Abraham to be our example of faith. Abraham, he became righteous not because he followed the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments had not been given yet. He became righteous, Abraham did, because because he had faith and believed that God was who God said he was. And that has been the pattern for us if we are humble enough to believe that God is powerful and God is stronger and God, when we submit to him, can use us in incredible ways, wow, when that happens, then we will reach our potential and our destiny and God will use us in ways we never imagined. See, God wants to use a leader and he wants to use great leaders. And one of the characteristics of a great leader is this. A great leader is involved with the people he or she is leading. And this started really in biblical examples. Think about Moses. Moses could have stayed in the palace of Egypt, but he walked among, he walked among the people that were slaves, the Hebrew people, and there he discovered their need. This pattern continued with the prophets. Isaiah walked among the people. Jeremiah walked among the people. Paul, when we read the New Testament, we see that Paul lived among the people. And he said, I worked with you and I ate with you and I spent time with you. Paul wrote, you know my life. Paul wasn't some kind of distant author, like stuck in an office somewhere and just sending his book to the publisher, hoping the masses could read it. No, Paul lived among the people. And there's something about the presence of a leader, the presence of a leader, uh, just the leader being there among the people causes, causes morale, uh, excuse me, morale to, to lift and it causes people to want to follow that leader. Washington, George Washington was known for this and the most crucial time of the revolution at Valley Forge where when the, when the army was going to starve to death and the winter was so harsh washington would go among the troops and morale would lift lincoln spent many times he would go and he would go to the front against the advice of his advisors he would he would travel to where the army was and he would he would walk among the troops or ride his horse among the troops and he loved doing that and the men loved doing that and the soldiers responded to the presence of lincoln there in more contemporary times i think of the aftermath of September 11th, 2001, Rudy Giuliani, against the advice of his advisors, went to ground zero. And he was there with the first responders, and he was there with the few survivors, and he was there with the family of those who were looking for lost loved ones. And just his presence there inspired the city and ultimately the nation. A great leader has presence. A great leader is with the people he leads. Here's the last point I wanna give you this morning from this passage today. We have a God who is active, a God who is with us. And the greatest example of a God who is with us is Jesus Christ. God did not stay distant, and God did not stay aloof, and God did not stay hidden. But he revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And he came and lived among us. And he came among us. And he became one of us. And Jesus took on flesh. And he took on the characteristics of a man. But yet, he stayed fully God at the same time. And he did that. Jesus did that to connect with us. And he did that because our God is an active God. And we see this characteristic in verse three of Isaiah 51. Verse three says this, for the Lord will comfort Zion. Zion is his ideal people. It's not necessarily a location, even though it can identify a location, but more than a location, it's the essence of God with his people. The Lord will comfort his people. He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden. Remember the garden of Eden in Genesis chapter one through three? It's a place where there's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no sorrow, it's a place of perfection. Look what this says. He will make her wilderness like Eden. He will make her barren place or the desert, a lush garden. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. And going on, it says, the next slide. And he, and I'm sorry, that must be be all there is. I thought there there was a part about joy and gladness. Verse four, is that on there? Thank you. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and melodious song. This is the promise God has for us. If God has this part of a heritage, We're part of a story and God has a pattern of using men and women to unfold his story. And when God unfolds his story through the lives of men and women, we find that our God is not distant. Our God is active. Our God is involved. Our God is here. Our God is with us. The beginning of verse three again, beginning of verse three says this, that God will comfort Zion. He'll comfort her in her waste places. He'll make her wilderness like an Eden. Here's the truth. There are waste places in this world we live in. There is a wilderness in this world we live in. There are places of sickness and poverty and injustice. There are places of oppression. There are places that are dark. And I wish that was not the case. But there is coming a day when our Jesus is gonna come to the wilderness and he's gonna come to the desert and he's going to assert his rule and reign and he's gonna cause that which is a wasteland to live and to be a lush garden again. He's going to restore his kingdom and restore his place. And in Acts chapter three, there is an exciting scripture that's often overlooked but I believe it gives us great hope on this morning. Acts chapter three, verse 20, it says, and he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must welcome him. And look at this phrase here. Until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. Now, what's an example of this? Of, of this his prophets isaiah 51 is an example of that what we just read today and god says there's going to be a restoration of all things god's going to make all things new again god's going to make all things better again god's going to correct all the wrongs god's going to assert his rule and reign and when king jesus comes And he comes through the eastern sky and he comes and appears again. He is going to show what a righteous king can do when he rules and reigns. There'll be no more war, no more famine, no more poverty, no more lack of education. There'll be no more death, no more sickness, no more hospitals, no more funeral homes. Because the old has passed away and the new has come. That is the hope we have this morning. That's why we have a reason to walk in the faith that we have. That's the reason why we are gathered here today. We're not gathered here today simply out of habit. We're not gathered here because this is just a religious observant uh, observance. We're not gathered here today uh, Only to only for the kids and say well the kids need some some moral teaching so we'll go to church No, we're gathered here today because we're part of a kingdom. We're part of a story. We're part of a heritage. God is unfolding his plan on the earth. God is making all things new. God is, is bringing restoration to the earth. And every time you and I do what's right and do his will, we're part of that story. We're part of unfolding the plan. Every time you choose the word of God instead of the word of man, God's restoring all things. Every time you choose kindness instead of hate. God is restoring all things. Every time that you begin to speak his word instead of your opinion, God's restoring all things. Every time we serve and we serve our community and we serve those around us instead of being selfish and serve ourselves, God is restoring all things. God is making all things new. And that's why you're here this morning, because he's chosen you to be part of the story, to be part of the plan, to be part of his will. He wants you to know that your life is significant, that your life matters, that your life makes a difference. So don't be discouraged. Don't, don't be dismayed. Don't think that you're insignificant and God has forgotten you. You're right where you need to be. You're, you're alive right now today because God chose you to be alive today. He chose you to put you in this, in this world at this time for a purpose and a reason. And he deserves to be worshiped for that. I wanted to go back to the beginning of Isaiah 51. And now that I've kind of walked through this with you. I want us to read this from the beginning. It says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness you who seek the lord look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were dug look to abraham your father and to sarah who gave you birth in pain when i called him he was only one i blessed him and made him many for the lord will comfort zion he will comfort all her waste places he will make her wilderness like eden and her desert like the garden of the lord joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and melodious song can you say amen to that scripture amen to that word is not god god good yes thank the lord for his word